Today we have a very, very, very special guest. I say that every time I know, I know, but you know what? Every guest to me is so interesting and so unique, and I'm so always so excited to have them come on. So today I've got Tom Story on. He joined us late, uh, just the other night, and uh, I got Tom to come on because, listen, he is someone that's been very open and very vocal about sharing his feedback on uh, the real estate market in Toronto and surrounding areas. Tom typically sells in Toronto, downtown, and he's got a great pulse on the market there and surrounding areas. Now, we got Tom to come on and uh, talk to us about what's happening in Toronto and the impacts, of course, of COVID. What types of investment opportunities are coming out and what does he recommend investing in in terms of strategies in the Toronto area? And of course, what else should we know about Toronto? Listen, you guys are going to love this episode with Tom. And if you do, make sure to reach out to him on Instagram or Facebook. He's on there all the time. By the way, we've uploaded lots and lots of new content to our YouTube page lately. If you haven't already subscribed, go to Thrive Mortgage Co. on YouTube. Look us up. We put out a video every single week with all sorts of great content, uh, and we're excited to share more with you. So without further ado, guys, enjoy this episode with Tom Story. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. Tom, uh, we brought you on the show today, my friend, um, uh, and we really wanted to take some time to appreciate uh, you for coming on and sharing a lot of the information that you have about Toronto and surrounding areas. Um, as you know, real estate is, is just on fire right now, everywhere across the country. Um, Vancouver, I imagine Toronto and people are wondering every single day, like what's up, what's down, what's happening, where should I go? Uh, <laughs> I don't think we can answer every single of these questions, but talk to me, man. Like what's it been like for you guys the last three or four months? Yeah, well, I'll even go back to like the beginning of the year because, I think, you know, it, this year has been so weird, right? Like it's kind of a blur, right? And it, it's like, oh my God, it's July. But we started this year in the, the market that I work at. I'm primarily uh, in the Toronto market, like Toronto proper 416 area code. And uh, the first two and a half months up to like March 15th, because that's kind of the date, you know, the, the world changed. Um, we, there was not one property that we helped a buyer buy that they weren't in competition with somebody else. Um, it was one of those years where the price growth was getting not scary, but to a point you're like, I don't know if this is sustainable. Uh, it was almost like the beginning of 2017. Um, instead of having the fair housing plan, we had COVID that changed our market. So the beginning of the year was nuts. Um, COVID happened. Uh, anyone that was sitting on the sidelines for a while saying, I'm going to wait till the market crashes and buy a property. Well, if you didn't buy in April, you lost your opportunity. There was one month. There was one month of dip. And then I would say May 1st, my phone started ringing a lot again. And we're back up to almost like over 100% capacity from last year. Like it's it's crazy the switch that happened from nothing to like back at it. And our sales numbers year to year have almost caught up fully. Even though we had 
a full month of nothing and two and a half months of, you know, what are we supposed to do? And what I always look at is that when people buy real estate, a lot of it is, uh, I want to do this. I want to sell. I want to buy. And when COVID happened, it was, I need to sell or I need to buy. And yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience. Like, you know, we're always going to remember what this portion of our life was like, but, uh, as a business owner, it's been a nice actually to kind of sit back and bird's eye view things and figure out how to tweak things and move forward. So what do you think? Like, so you had that month off uh, during April, which, uh, you know, happened across the country, similar to us, you know, learning how to adjust and adapt. And, and uh, I, I don't even think we actually had a full month in the lending space because we had a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. But, you know, in the real estate space, we saw a lot of our partners kind of wondering, OK, what's going to happen? What are people feeling like? What is the new normal? Where are we going with this and so forth? What kind of what were the biggest, I guess, adaptations you've you've seen um, in the market shift since that timeline, whether it's in your business or just from from a client standpoint? Uh, well, I think so at the very beginning, uh, especially in April, uh, we actually sold several properties 100% virtually. Like no one stepped foot inside. We sold them where both buyer and seller were in like a need to make this happen scenario. Probably the buyer had already sold and the seller had already bought, right? So it was interesting to see, you know, we've had floor plans, virtual tours, videos for uh, five years, most, most agents in our market at least, but it was kind of just a tool to get the showing to happen. People were actually making decisions, but as people started kind of going outside again and we had you know strict rules, but we could do in-person showings, it actually showed me more than ever, like you're not gonna be able to buy real estate online. Like people want to feel it, they want to touch it. Uh, I don't know virtually unless AR gets like extremely amazing. So that's, that's one thing I noticed. The second thing is that as someone that invests in real estate myself, there's always kind of like three fundamentals that I break down on why I would want to invest in a specific area. Because at the end of the day, it's still a house. And if you can find anything else in life that you can buy, enjoy, and then sell for more, like please tell me what it is, right? Um, so so it's basically like uh, lending. So is money affordable? And that's a check mark, right? Uh, the second pillar would be immigration. Now, we've had no real immigration for four months and our market's still extremely active. So that alone kind of just shows how how proven a lot of the big markets are because people aren't coming in here to buy houses. So most of it's happening locally. Um, and then the third one is unemployment rate. So if people have jobs, they can buy properties. And I think a lot of people didn't quite know what that was. And it's looking like most of the people that had full-time jobs are still doing okay. We don't really know the real number, but those are the three big things. So I'd actually say for me, it was more of, a, of like a wow of like, okay, only one of the big three pillars of what makes real estate happen is is 100%. And that's that rates are good, right? The other two were question marks and things were still happening. So that alone was unexpected to me that like our market fundamentally shouldn't be doing as good as it is because it doesn't make sense. Right. But it just shows, you know, there's just truly not enough houses for how many people live in most of Canada. Well, they say that uh, a vast majority of Canadians wealth is in their real estate, like in their primary residence. And there's no truer fact than that. I mean, we grow up, we're taught like own your primary residence. We're not really taught why or what that means. It's just that you got to own your home. Right. 
And so, I mean, personally on our side and our team, we've noticed that people now more than ever are having more pride in their homes and they're looking to buy something that they could, uh, you know, consider, you know, I guess something that they're more proud of. And they're just really considering these details so much more. And you've probably seen that, whether it's home offices or like, you know, renovations or all these different types of things you got going on. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the real estate investing component, but why don't we, why don't we stay on the track about like what types of properties are what you consider to be hot right now in your region? Like what are people looking for? Anything freehold. Um, I think we have different terms in our markets Our semi-detached homes. I think you guys call duplexes. Um, so anything freehold that you own the land uh, is, is back to almost early 2020 prices. Um, it's crazy. I listed a house uh, 24 hours ago and we had 17 showings in 24 hours. Like there is demand. It's there. Um, and what's interesting is that it's been a flip of the switch because for the last five years in the greater Toronto area, if you bought a condo five years ago today and fast forwarded, it would be up on average 51% in value. It went up 10% a year because condos were outpacing every everything else. The rest of the market was moving about 6 to 7%, still very good if you average it all out through all the ups and all the downs, but condos were outpacing everything. Now, the inventory of condos has doubled where condos are taking a lot longer to sell, especially at price points over 700,000 in our market. Under that, they're still moving, but it's now coming to a point where people are, well, I think too, like people were quarantined in their condo and they're like, I need, I need space. Like I need a level, you know? Um, so I think that's been, been a big part of it. But yeah, I think for the rest of 2020, you got a house in Toronto, uh, it's going to be in demand. You got a condo that's a little bit more expensive. It, they're still selling, but it's taking four times longer. What I've also noticed on our end of the, uh, of the uh, country is that we're also seeing a lot of people who are from 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 a uh, investment standpoint are starting to realize that that I know we talk about this all the time, but there is no more land being made, um, and it's it's scarce. So if, I don't know what it was like in Toronto, but I believe it was 2015, 2016 here in Vancouver where things just went whoop, like way up skyrocketed. In particular at the time, it was detached homes. It was detached properties in the city and that kind of trickled into other markets and so forth. And uh, we, saw that, we saw that kind of continue for a couple of years and then into the like strata and so forth. But again, right now, just like you're mentioning right here, what are we seeing? We're seeing families move up from condos and townhomes to detached homes. They're moving further away. A lot more people are looking for space. So I think it's just like um, an understanding of the importance of, of where you live. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And you know what? Because uh, we, we sell, of every sale we do, 60% of them is, is a condo. And um, when I meet with people for the first time, when they're buying that condo, it's okay. I work here, which means I want to be this far from my work. And that's like almost the number one decision maker. Now it's, well, I don't have to go back to the office for a year. And when I do go back, it's going to be two days a week. And I don't mind driving an hour in for two days a week. So it's like the, the, one of the core principles of why they wanted that space. And I've kind of figured out if you look at other markets in Canada, other than the big, like, Toronto and surrounding areas and Vancouver and surrounding areas, condos aren't that popular um, because the average house is affordable, right? But in these big markets, people buy condos because they're affordable. And for a lot of people at the time they buy them, it's their only option. 
So you either don't buy it and keep renting or you buy the condo and you start working your way up the property ladder. One quick point on that, and I'd love to hear your feedback. We've already started to see um, uh, buyers gravitate towards the pre-sales and new builds that have quite a few amenities internally, almost like they're built as like little mini cities where they have the gyms there. They have a lot of things like kind of built into it, um, almost like a hotel sort of district in a way. And are, are you seeing a lot of those trends in your side too? Yeah, and our new sales is kind of just coming back, but there was one that just launched, which is amenity focused, great area. And I think for like, it was a smaller building, I think for like 250 units, there was over a thousand worksheets, meaning like a thousand people tried to buy one. So the demand's still there. It's just, uh, it's just different, right? And I think with the new construction stuff too, uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly the same in both markets, but in our market, you have a longer time to do your down payment. It's like staggered. And and what I think about new construction, because in our market, buying resales actually better value than buying new, which it should be. It's, it's new versus not new, right? Um, but it can put you in a location where you maybe couldn't afford the houses in that location, but you can get a great condo and maybe there's not too many around there. And that's what I think new construction and new build stuff is a great opportunity for, for people that haven't entered the market yet. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's kind of let's kind of move forward here. So interesting to hear like freehold uh, is to the same kind of mindset in, you know, in that area that as it is here, people willing to move outside the city um, and people willing to look at different locations. You know, one of the things that a lot of people who are listening to our podcast and a lot of people we talk to all the time, we, we speak about uh, real estate as an investment and not always about buying 25 properties or, or, you know, 50 doors or anything like that. It doesn't have to be so high, you know, pie in the sky, but, but sometimes just about, you know, teaching and educating our, our, our audience about, you know, sometimes it's just about, you know, having a few properties to pay for the one and, or creating a retirement plan or, or something of that nature. And it's, it's just been ingrained in so many people's brains that you know paying off your mortgage as fast as possible is the best thing you can ever do and and just don't carry a mortgage and so forth and i know you don't you don't think the same way about that which is why it's always interesting to hear someone else's feedback but as a person that invests in real estate and also tries to educate a lot of your first-time buyers jumping into the market right now how how are you talking to people today about getting started investing to real estate is it different than it was a few months ago or is it the same kind of conversations I think the conversations are the same. Uh, maybe the game plan's a little bit different. Um, what I always look at is, and I find in most big markets in Canada, even if you get a good savings every single year, it's hard to keep pace with the market because you're not leveraging the money from, from the bank or the mortgage, wherever it comes from, right? From the lender. Um, so, so that's what I really look at. And a lot of people, especially first time home buyers, if they ever say like, okay, well, I wanna buy my dream house, like the reality is your first property is not your dream house. Like the way that prices have gone, it's just not gonna happen. If you try and save up to make that happen, you're gonna fall further behind. And that's not a biased realtor talking, that's literally me looking at the stats and saying like, okay, in our market over the past 40 years, we've averaged 7% appreciation. And that's not just on your down payment, that's on the money you board from the bank at 3%, right? So how do you start somewhere how do you buy that first one, that first property to get your feet wet, you know, gain a little bit of appreciation, start paying down some principal, get, get comfortable with it and then move to the next one because at least then you're in the game. And a lot of people that have been waiting on the sidelines kind of get caught behind and sometimes fall right out of it because they're not leveraging. And 
I don't believe even even to invest money into the stock market, the bank's not going to give you 80 <laughs> percent to, to lend you and be like, here, go. Right. But they're willing to do it for homes. And I think that says a lot, too. You know, so I don't think the converse it's not a different conversation. It's just, OK, this is the end goal. Let's plan out the next 20 years, not the next year, because n no buy in real estate should be short term. Like you should really ideally buy it and hold it for as long as you can, unless you need to move it to move the money somewhere else. But if the money's going to sit in your bank, it should be in something else that's actually going to work for you. Yeah, real estate's interesting because the same drawback is is also a positive in the sense that, you know, real estate is obviously illiquid. Uh, so a lot of investors don't like the fact that you can't just, you know, cash out day one. You know, obviously there's it's market dependent on where it's going. Uh, but the flip side to that is you can borrow and you can leverage it at what you mentioned, which is essentially the lowest possible cost of borrowing, which is a mortgage. And financing a mortgage right now at 2% or whatever that is, is just astronomical money. Like it's cheaper than, than heck. Now, uh, in the Toronto market, in the Vancouver market for years, one of the key things that uh, has worked for investors, which is also a wild card, is appreciation. Now we, we always talk about the different principles of real estate investment from a from a you know a straightforward standpoint and you know we mentioned principal reduction um, uh, being one of them we haven't talked about cash flow yet but appreciation is one I want to target and so the scary thing about appreciation for a lot of people is we see markets that pop up and pop down and things of that nature but in a market like Toronto do you typically talk to your uh, investors about you know considering the appreciation as a key factor or how do you approach that? I think you have to in Toronto because uh, unless you're putting a big down payment, the cash flow is not necessarily there right off the bat. Um, it's one of those things like everything that I say is based on a, a fact that I have about it. It's not my gut feeling. And, and I know the chart in Toronto and I've seen it. And through all the ups, the crash in the early 90s, 2008, in our market, the second half of 2017 was similar to what happened to you guys a year earlier. Um, with all the new taxes and everything, like all the ups and all the down, we've averaged seven percent a year in forty years. So, okay, let's let's say you're buying a property. I would never say, okay, guaranteed we're getting this much appreciation a year. But okay, if we've averaged seven over forty years through all the good years and all the bad years, why don't we use two to three percent as like a safe number here, and then anything on top of that is bonus. Um, so I never overpromise it. It's not a guarantee, but. Even if you buy that property and it's one that you're going to live in and it doesn't go up in value, but over that period of time, you've paid down a, a large chunk of principal on your mortgage, it's a forced savings plan. Um, and you got to live somewhere like, you know, what were you, where were you going to live if you were, you going to rent? So yeah. yeah. That's kind of how I think. I, look I, at I think it. you're right from a from a living perspective. I mean, if you're living in the property, you're you're paying the cost of living. You're reducing the actual um, the mortgage. You're paying down the principal, if you will. I mean, that's that to me is obviously an important point. Um, you know, you talk to a lot of investors who who, who are like uh, you know buying multiple properties, and they, they try to focus on cash flow for good reason too. Uh, but one of the key points, and this is something that we see as well in the city for people who tend to focus more on and and, and like to focus a lot of their energy on the downtown cities, is the value of appreciation and what it can do to spread your assets over time and so you mentioned yourself that you you currently own you know four properties today and this has allowed you to the first one with the appreciation has allowed you to leverage again as we talked about before to buy the next one and buy the next one and then i guess you'll eventually get to your fourth one uh from a partnership standpoint and so so do you often talk about uh how to leverage it and what that looks like day one with people or when does that fit into a lot of your conversations yeah so kind of what i was saying before about the move up the property ladder kind of thought is that 
we try to track with our clients, okay, we look at gaps between prices. So if I know the average uh, condo, let's say is $600,000, the average semi-detached or uh, in uh, BC terms duplex is a million bucks, and then your detached is 1.5, I know those gaps exist. So we, we track the market and when, when the condo gets really close to the semi or to the duplex, I'll say, hey, probably makes sense to sell this now because this is the hottest pocket of the market and jump up because you're then ahead of the game. You're selling at a premium and then you're buying when there's less competition. So there's no, like, listen, to try and track the market perfectly as a fool's game, but if you just spend a little bit of time, you know, every month and sit down and, and look at where you're at, I, I think it's totally doable. You, there's just got to be a little bit of education behind it. So, so let's talk about education here because we talked earlier about like some of the fears that you you hear for people that were, where you're bringing up this conversation about creating wealth through real estate and what that could look like and and how to build their portfolio. And and you brought up a couple of interesting points to me and maybe you could repeat back to me, Tom, like a few of the things that, that you hear as like, oh, crap, I don't want to do it because of this or this or these things scare me. Like, what do you commonly hear? Um, the, the big one would be, well, what if the tenant's a nightmare and we can't get them out? And what if they don't pay rent? Um, and then what happens then? Uh, everyone likes to play worst case scenario, right? As you should with a big investment. Like figure out like, here's all the pain points that could happen. And, and I think the education level is like, okay, here's how we can address each one of those points if they ever were to happen. Um, so, so that's the first one. Uh, the second one is some people just literally don't want to be a landlord, right? And okay, how can you address that? Well, you hire a property manager. Like, so th there's, there's ways to leverage your time around it and still have these investments without having to be really, really involved. Actually, earlier today, someone was saying like, what's your PETA level for an investment? And it was, what's your pain in the ass level <laughs> that you're willing to take? for your investment. So you want an easy investment, turnkey. Well, a condo is a great opportunity. You want one that's going to be a little bit higher on that factor scale. Well, you buy the eight plex that's, you know, like that you're going to have to be more hands-on. So it's really like, what are you looking to do? But I would say, yeah, the biggest fears are, are what if they don't pay rent? What if they trash the place? What if it doesn't go up in value? What if I need the money out and I can't sell it? Like there's lots of things that could happen, but I would say like, most of them, when there's a dip, so right now in Toronto, the rental market's not ideal. Um, it's really slowed down and prices have come down in the rental market. And you can either say right now, okay, I'm out, I'm gonna sell this and move on. Or you've had five years of absolute amazing appreciation and rent. Take that one year of not so great and factor it all in and you're still doing really well. So it's not making those like, long there's those short those quick decisions that are going to affect long-term uh lifestyle basically yeah that makes a lot of sense and i think like one comparison that i don't hear frequently enough when we talk about so so people bring okay property manager that's going to cost me money or if i do it myself that's going to cost me time and i think we we talk about we, what we hear all the time especially with younger people is like their quote-unquote side hustle or making money on the side or you want to earn money and the reality of uh the situation is well first and foremost if you hire uh an investment advisor or financial planner they they're going to get paid the difference is they get paid from what you make um if you hire a property manager they get paid from essentially what you make so that's an important distinction right there 
there. Um, and the other thing at the end of the day is as you're starting, as you're beginning, it's actually a good thing to do a little bit of work because then you get better at it and recognize it to uh, which point you can eventually start to pass that off. And, and I personally had that experience myself is once you start to understand it um, and you get good at it and you leverage it, you can then hire out the right people to do the right things for the right amount of money. And that's really the key to it. So again, to your point, yeah, the tenant thing comes up all the time. Um, the thing that comes up, isn't it expensive or how do I get the money? And that's another thing. We talked about the fact that you've leveraged one property to buy your other properties. I think your one property leveraged to buy three more, right? Is that where you're at? I started, I bought the first condo for $350,000. And I'll tell you, at that time, no one was saying like, wow, what a deal you got. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like people were like, you're some genius investor. It's like, okay, you paid a lot for a little condo. Uh, two years later, it was worth almost 500000 and I refied it right away, took the money out, bought my second one. So let's talk about that really quickly. I'm going to break that down just because if somebody's listening that doesn't fully understand that. So uh, one of the common questions that I get asked day to day is like, what value, how do I know what my value is and how much money can I take out? So really, really simple, just for the sake of conversation today, as of today, uh, if you're qualified, you can borrow up to 80% of the actual value today and the actual value is defined by an appraisal so not necessarily what you know your neighbor sold for or or what the assessed value is but the appraised value really important to define that because i get very very mixed up on that and you did that after a couple years you said so that's another key factor which is that when you're setting up your your actual mortgage make sure you're setting it up in a way that it's not going to cost you 25 grand uh, to get 50 grand, right? So you probably, you know, had an idea to that or at least some of a, an idea day one, right? Oh yeah, I, I knew what I was gonna do from day one and that's why I took a variable on that property because I knew exactly what I was gonna do. I knew what the penalty was gonna be, three months interest. Um, that was, that was, uh, do, do you know, like, I, is there, in that five years of mortgage term, is there like a percentage, I'd actually be, be interested of like how many people break it in that five years? So there's a bunch of statistics floating around and most of it's based on surveys. Uh, a lot of it's based on surveys. CMHC uh, produced a few reports and there's a couple of others that, are the others that have come out. Every report and statistic that I've seen where there's been surveys uh, has noted that you're around 38 months on average year over year. That's where it tends to come out as the average uh, homeowner that's been surveyed, break their mortgage or makes a change in their, in their mortgage term. And so if you put it this way, if the typical family is taking a five-year fixed term, you got a whole lot of people that are a holding off because the penalty costs are too high or they're paying way too much money to banks that do not need your money. Um, so yeah, around three years is the typical timeline, which makes a lot of sense because I don't know about you, but three years ago, my life was very different from <laughs> what it is today. hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. So that's, Absolutely. that's key. That Thanks for, for bringing that up. That's a really key point. So um, you know, uh, as we move down this road, I think Tom will probably have to have you come on again because I'm, I'm already in my mind thinking of so many things we could talk about here. But we'll, why don't we talk just just briefly, maybe touch on like uh, uh, the third principle we talked about of investing that cash flow piece. And, you know, obviously Toronto is a little bit tough to find that in. And, and there are a lot of investors that and a lot of books and a lot of uh, uh, um, guides that suggest that cash flow is king. And, and I'm not uh, saying that's right or wrong or anything like that today. But uh, what I would love to know is if uh, any of the people that you're working with uh, uh, start to look outside the city for different types of properties from an investment standpoint that help them find that cash flow. And if you know anything about uh, the properties surrounding Toronto, as far as that's concerned. Yeah, um, it's happening a lot right now, actually, um, even more than before. And I think, again, it's part of the, well, I don't have to go to this office every single day for sure. So at first it's principal residents and then they're buying investment properties. 
Um, so it used to be for a while, if you bought in Toronto, you get great appreciation, but your cash flow was minimum, if anything. Um, but if you bought just outside Toronto in Guelph or Kitchener, or you went up to Collingwood, Blue Mountain, you could buy a property that would cash flow very well, but your appreciation was one to 2%, not 7% like Toronto. So it was really just depending on what kind of game you're trying to play. Um, so the properties outside the city tend to be much better in terms of cash flow. They just don't appreciate at the same level. So if my first property that I had bought had been one outside the city, I wouldn't have been able to refi it the way I did because the appreciation wasn't there. So again, it's all like what you're trying to do. Um, and I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. And no one can dictate or guarantee what the appreciation is going to be. And I think that's why cash flow is king is a real saying is because that you can bank on, like literally, like you know it's coming every single month. And I have properties rented out that I bought early enough on that I do cash flow on. But then the, and this would be interesting maybe just for you to answer too. So when I'm breaking down an investment property for a client, it's like, okay, other than insurance and things like that, uh, you're gonna have to pay the taxes. If it's a strata, you're gonna have to pay the fees, right? And then the third one is you're gonna have to pay the mortgage. Like that's your carrying costs. Um, but the way that mortgages are broken down, and I'm sure you can explain this better than me, is that there's interest in principal, and at the beginning of the mortgage, it's still probably almost 50-50, depending on which way you go. So that even if you are not cash flowing, it's all how you look at the numbers. If you're losing $400 a month on an investment, but it's covering your interest, your strata fees, and your taxes, and the payment goes to your principal, are you actually losing money or is that just a forced savings plan for a period of time? And I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously, uh, I, I think I understand what you're picking up there. And uh, essentially, you're saying I'm putting this amount of money aside towards the property and the renters paying off the rest. And I'm hoping that I'm appreciating on the property enough to the point where in three to five years, I could restructure my loan and then eventually not have to pay for this anymore. And that, and certainly that's that, that's a way that some people go. I, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Like, uh, generally speaking, like when we're looking at a property with a client, that's certainly something that we factor in. But I think the part I think the part that's left out in a lot of circumstances are those miscellaneous costs and fees like the insurance cost and the home equity line of credit that you use to, to buy the property and so forth. So so you're right. These are good points. And I, I think at the end of the day, you just have to compare this against like what your other alternative is and what we call opportunity costs. So what's the cost of me just paying 2% money or potentially putting this into a property that could earn 7%? So what's the difference and where's the level of risk? Because there's a level of risk in everything that you're you're looking to buy. So that's, that's a good point and a really good uh, way to break it down. So, you know, moving forward, Tom, I, I want to highlight the fact that you've been uh, doing a lot of video content, just, uh, just like myself, side by side for the better part of a few years now. And uh, we were chatting about this earlier today about, you know, why we do this is to basically get the information out and education out to people that need it uh, without that sales pitch component to it. Um, you did bring out an interesting point that I, I appreciated, which is that, you know, by being in front of the camera all the time, whether it's a news or, or radio or whatnot, you have to stay on top of the statistics and you have to know your numbers. Aside from that, though, I guess to get to my my point or my question to you is what what drives you to, to use this platform to educate consumers? And and is this something where, where you think consumers should start, you know, watching more videos on YouTube or, or whatnot? Or where should people be getting their information? That's what I'm trying to get to. Right. Yeah. No, it's, it's a great point because the headlines are sexy and they're fun to read. But most people, when they're sharing articles, are not actually digging deep. They're seeing the headline and making an assumption. Right. And that's OK. Um, 
But if you're really interested in something and want to educate yourself, dig a little bit deeper um, and, and try to, cause like, and with both of our content, you can tell we never sell. It's like literally like, here's what's going on. Here's how, and in my business, it's so freeing to me. Cause when people reach out, they're like, okay, I'm ready to buy a house. And it's never me trying to be like, here's why, here's the five reasons you should work with me. Right. So that alone makes it worth every penny. But I just think like for the average work, whatever you do for a living, you're stuck in your bubble. Okay, whether you're an insurance broker, uh, a, a mortgage agent, a realtor, it doesn't matter. You run your own small business, you're stuck in your little world and you know your little world and everything else you don't really know all the day-to-day things about. So I think like I can talk about the obvious things, but what about talking about the things that because I do this every single day, this might seem obvious to me, but it's not to the average person listening. And uh, you know, during COVID when everyone's sitting at home watching the news and they're saying like, you know, in April sales are down 67%. Well, some person might be sitting there on the couch being like, the value of my house is down 67%. Freaking out when that's not the reality at all. The values didn't actually change much, just the numbers of sales did. So I just think like whatever industry you're in, or if you're putting content out there, never assume that they that it's too obvious to talk about. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's that's well said. And, you know, quite frequently uh, when I have conversations with people, it's about like, hey, I heard, um, you know, prices are going to collapse or that they're going up or that there's no properties or there's lots of properties or it's a good time or it's a bad time. And typically it's a lot of hearsay, which is fair. I mean, you're talking to someone who they, you know, maybe have been speaking to someone else. But again, kind of back to your point, that's why I think a lot of people should pay attention. So if you're in the Toronto area or if you're across Canada, whether you're in the real estate industry or otherwise, make sure to check out Tom's stuff. We'll put all the links in the show notes and so forth. But I think it's just like, make sure you're fact checking your information to get the right information. So like, again, we we tried to talk a little bit about the entry level conversation about getting into investing and how you felt and the types of things that you see is this is just raw facts. This is just specific things that people are doing um there's no agenda or any kind of information behind that so um yeah no thanks for thanks for sharing that so you know tom i think i'm gonna call it today because uh you got to get up early my friend and you've been such a steward for your time here my friend so uh what is the best way if someone wanted to reach out to you to ask you more questions about anything we spoke about today what's the best way for them to reach you uh, number one way would be Instagram. Um, we are at the story team and story is spelled S-T-O-R-E-Y. Perfect. Perfect. I know a local story as well. So awesome. man. Hey, listen, I appreciate you coming on the show, Tom. Uh, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, guys, if you enjoyed the show, make sure to go check out Tom's profile. Give him a follow. Send him a message. And listen, subscribe if you liked it. Let us know. We'll talk to you all very soon.